0: Hey, it's Arrow, and this is PodFest, episode number 36. Three back-to-back conversations with real people of entertainment, politics, science, medicine, or cooks in their own kitchen. PodFest 36 features by conversation with professional wrestler Nyla Rose from All Elite Wrestling, AEW. Then we'll spend a few moments with baseball legend Ron Darling still talking about those moments that historians are shocked over. Then we'll wrap it up with a man that knows a lot about hits and home runs, Mr. Ron Wood from the Rolling Stones. This is PodFest 36. <laughs> Since its launch, AEW has featured a dynamic set of world-class male and female wrestlers who've injected new life into the business with their extraordinary athleticism and larger-than-life personalities. Its growing roster includes some of the industry's biggest stars, such as Cody Rhodes, Kenny Omega, The Young Bucks, Chris Jericho, and even Jon Moxley. Nyla Rose is a proud Native American who possesses a unique blend of speed, agility, power, and destruction. She's truly established herself as a powerhouse with AEW. We are unplugged and totally uncut with Nyla Rose. You bring so much, so much to television. You know, when when All Elite Wrestling first came onto the scene, they said they were going to make a difference. They said they were going to be unique and modern, and you are a major part of that.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's... uh. Yeah, a little bit of groundbreaking, huh? (laughs) We've done a lot of big things, a lot of different things, and I I don't think there's anyone quite like me on on Prime television.
0: But that's what I love about you is that you're telling the world, I am me. I'm going to be me. Do you want to fight about it? Let's do it.
1: Cause that one hundred percent is my motto. I love that. You know, I'm going to put that on a T-shirt. I'm <laughs> me. You, let's fight about it.
0: <laughs> but your journey to get here, though, you know, a lot of people they they don't understand the actual physical steps that that are that a wrestler has you know has to go through. You've been on a journey.
1: Oh, it's been a heck of a journey, right? Like touring the U.S. in my own little beat up car, uh, getting in the car accidents. <laughs> Uh, just traveling around trying to make these towns um, having the privilege and fortune to make it over overseas to Japan, wrestle there for a few times Um, basically trying to get seen, trying to get myself out there. Like the old school carny days, just town after town, pack up and move along. And, and, and everybody's doing this, hoping to get that call. and, And I was blessed and fortunate enough to do that. Do just that.
0: Well, one of the things that I'm very proud of you is the way that you really put a lot of focus on the social media and you knew you had to get your numbers up. It's still a major part of your popularity, isn't it?
1: Oh, without a doubt. I mean, that's that's just the nature of the beast now. That's that's the sign of the times, I guess. Uh, maybe that's not the right phrase, but that's that's the era that we're living in. Um, so much is happening online and people, people have access to information and entertainment like right in the palm of their hands, right in their pockets. So it's kind of a no brainer if if you're not online in some capacity, you're really missing out on a big big market on, on a lot of a lot of a way to connect with a lot of fans
0: one of the one of the connections that you've got with all elite wrestling is that you're proving to the wrestling world that women's wrestling isn't just that opening act anymore that you can be the main attraction and you are the main attraction
1: without a doubt and and that's a big driving force for me is is to be not only a part of wrestling history, but to make wrestling history. You know, I don't want to be a, a footnote in the book. I, I want to be a whole paragraph, a whole chapter, if you will. Uh, and when I say I, I, I don't just mean myself, Nyla Rose. I'm, I'm quite confident my accolades will earn me at least a, a mention or two in, in, in a few paragraphs. But I mean, women's wrestling. We we work so hard, and like you said, we're, we're no longer that special attraction or that hey, you know, take a break now. Like there's a lot of incredibly talented women all over the world. Who are busting their hump to, to get noticed, get recognized, and be taken seriously. And we've done that, we're doing that, and we're going to keep doing that.
0: One of the things I've always loved about wrestling is that it connects every generation together. I love sitting in circles, and we're all talking about the, the wrestlers that we grew up with and who we continue to watch and stuff. How many of the old-timers have walked up to you, Nyla, and said, you know, I was there when Wahoo McDaniel was the big man on the campus? <laughs>
1: That's the name. Wow, you went back for that one. <laughs> um, you know, quite a quite a few. Maybe not quite Yawalka yeah, McDaniel per se, but there, there's been a few. There's been a few, and a lot of really. Uh, if if I can put my fan hat on and just be a fan for a moment, a lot of really cool interactions I've had over the years. Um, just running into even even my coworkers. The first time I met Arn Anderson, you know, we we had a very very candid conversation. He told me, you know, he, he liked my work. He he loved what I did. And to hear that from someone like Double A, the enforcer, <laughs> is a fan of myself. What? <laughs> Like, I wanted to run home and look for my Four Horsemen shirt.
0: <laughs> well, one of the things, you know, Charlotte is, it used to be, it was like the wrestling capital of the world, and and Arn Anderson and, and Ric Flair and everybody used, and, and just everybody would, would just walk around uh, Charlotte like, like they were just a member of the family. You guys have always been level-headed, haven't you? And why is it that you are one of us?
1: I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, I guess I guess a big part of that is just where we all come from um you know we we're still we're we're not so disconnected from everyone else we still got our feet on the ground we're still you know packing up town after town and just being there and and the weird wild wonderful thing about pro wrestling is how interactive it is so maybe it's that connection that we have with the fans that just keeps us grounded
0: how do you keep that body in shape in the way that say i'm a third degree black belt and when i would go to the tournaments i would get in there i'd do what i needed to do but then i hurt like hell for a week there was no way i was going back into that ring the next day but you guys do honestly there's a lot of crying um not what you may think but because i want i want to eat
1: pizza and, and all this other <laughs> stuff and i can't so i just i cry the calories away
0: <laughs> so so you got you got to keep it on the up and up huh you got you got to eat the healthy stuff
1: yeah, you gotta be a little bit, you know, once in a while you can indulge and especially after a grueling match, you can, you can kinda, you know, get a little. Get a little reckless, if you will, have a cheat day. Maybe have two, three slices of pepperoni. You, you can get away with a few things, but you got to you got to be smart and make those smart choices.
0: So now, what is wrestling like in twenty twenty during the COVID? I realize, I mean, that's the one thing I miss so much is you, that everybody coming to town and stuff like that. But you, as a wrestler, I, I mean, the only way we can keep in touch with you is is on social media. What is that doing to you?
1: Honestly, it is it is such a wild ride. It's it's a little weird. Um, but I, I promise you, and this this is going to sound, I don't know, I don't know how it's going to sound, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it out there. Uh, the wrestlers, we miss you guys just as much as you miss coming to us. I, I can't tell you how many times I overhear backstage, oh, the fans, I wish the fans, I wish the fans could see this. You know, it, we're, we're thinking about you guys as much as you are about us.
0: Trust, trust us. We we want you there. Yeah, because we want to see you high flying. I mean, you have got one of the best damn kicks I've seen in a long time, and I I, I want to see that. I want to be ringside. I want to hear you hit that mat after you've you've laid you know landed that kick.
1: Oh, that sickening thud! It's such a beautiful <laughs> sound, right?
0: <laughs> oh my god, I can so relate with that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nothing like the sound of landing on another human and just hearing them writhe in agony.
0: Speaking of agony, a lot of people struggle with their banters and stuff like that when they're on the camera. You don't. How did you master that art?
1: <laughs> I I talk a lot of smack around the house, <laughs> around the town. I, I will talk trash to my toaster if my toast comes out burnt. I, I will... I will just talk smack to anybody. And, you know, a lot of it's just for fun. But it's, it's a good way to kind of practice and keep your wit sharp. Absolutely.
0: How how many times do you, because, you know, once again, I come from the martial arts world. You have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, you okay? I love you, buddy. I love you, buddy. Do you have to do the same thing, too, because you put your body through so much?
1: Yeah, you do. You do. You You know, this, the wrestling is, is, is a very unique thing and our bodies are our tools, you know, aside from the ring, but really those are the two things that we need to make what we do happen. So what's, what's beautiful about this company and our work schedule is we have a little bit of downtime to actually recoup and take care of these injuries, especially the nagging ones that have been bothering some of us for so long. Um, And then kind of then, you know, unfortunately, the times with COVID, but, but an unexpected upside to that is, you know, that little bit of extended time to kind of just really, you know, soak or get a massage or just, you know, keep the weight off of whatever it is that's bothering you.
0: Nyla, you got to come back to this show anytime in the future. This stage is always going to be waiting for you.
1: Oh, that, see, that's okay. Remember, I told you I talked smack. You, you, you put the you put the invite out there. I'm going to cash that in. You better believe it. This has been a lot of fun.
0: You be brilliant today, okay? Uh, thank
1: you so much. You too. He was one of the anchors of
2: a very deep pitching staff. Finishing third in the National League with a 2.81 early. season. His ERA in the World Series over 17 and two-thirds innings was just 1.53. He won game four to even the World Series at two. This former Yalie is back with the Mets this season as an analyst on Sportsnet New York.
0: Morning, how are you doing today, sir? Hi, Errol. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you that you that you have reached out beyond the baseball cards and the history of baseball and you're sharing your journey. This is a spectacular moment for, for baseball fans.
3: Well, thank you very much. I, I just think that, um, I don't know, maybe this is how my brain works, but when you uh, when you take a look at your career, it can't all be uh, uh, wine and roses, and mine certainly wasn't. Well, to play
0: the baseball game, I, I, my neighbor tried to really get up
3: into the majors. He, he played all the way through minor leagues
0: and stuff like that. To be there takes so much of the person as well as the team, and, and that's what I've always loved about baseball. It's not a solo sport
3: yeah it's 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 a strange game because it is a team sport with an individual struggle uh put in the middle of it and I think that as far as reaching the major leagues, it really takes a village of people to get you there you know from moms and dads uh, uh driving and coaching to uh, uh friends and neighbors to sometimes even your siblings putting some of their dreams on hold um to allow you to have your dream and uh you know when you're all said and done with your career, you look back on it and there's just you know, there's so there's a thousand things that have to go right for you to have a chance to play in the major leagues, and uh, and you're lucky if that happens. Did Did you feel like you one of the luckiest guys
0: on the on the in the world, just like Lou Gehrig would say?
3: Um, I, I think that, um, uh, Lou Gehrig is, uh, it's hard to even compare to a guy that was able to utter those words, uh, on, on that fateful, uh, day when he decided to do it at Yankee stadium. I do know this is that, yes, you feel like you've been, uh, you've got the golden ticket that you've won the lotto, all of those things. But once you get there, um, the harsh reality is, is that you're going to have some nights that are going to bring you to your knees and make you cry. And, um, uh, so uh, it, it's another lesson that nothing's free. All great things come with a cost, and, uh, and, and so they should.
0: How do you take a love for hockey and become a pitcher in the major leagues?
3: <laughs> oh, great great question. Uh, if you grew up where I grew up, and I remember I had this discussion with the comedian Dennis Leary. We both grew up uh, in and around the Worcester, Mass. area, which is uh, centrally located in Massachusetts. Uh, and you're the age we are, 55, 56 years old. You had one hero, and that was Bobby Orr. <laughs> Your mom and dad wanted you to be like Bobby Orr when you played outside and you played street hockey. Uh, someone who would pretend to be Barkley Plager for the Blues. Someone who would pretend to trip you up because uh, you were Bobby Orr coming out of the corner with the feed from Sanderson, and someone, usually the biggest guy in the block, would play Gump Worsley, the goalie <laughs> for the for the San Jose Blues. So it was a childhood uh, that well, like no other because uh, because of Bobby Orr.
0: It's just it's playing that game inside your mind, and all of a sudden it just starts affecting everything that you're doing, and then people go, "Whoa, he's on to something."
3: Yeah, it's 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 just an amazing thing to, uh, you know, you have a dream when you're a kid. And there's a lot of kids that have this dream, you know, of someday playing a, a professional sports. And, you know, I have uh, families all the time come up to me and, and some are out of control with trying to get their kids to play professional sports. And you know what? I've, I've come down with this adage, and it, it might be right or it might be wrong. You know, you don't really uh, pursue professional sports. They'll kind of pursue you yeah. when, the, when the moment's right. And uh, and that's the best piece of advice I could give.
0: Now, we're both pretty much the same age. Did you use the pitch back as well to fine tune that ball?
3: Oh, pitch back uh, for <laughs> baseball. I used the uh, the old tire hanging off the tree for my football <laughs> with, uh, with someone pushing it. Uh, yeah, we didn't have all the sophisticated toys. I couldn't go to my iPad and learn how to uh, hold the pitch. Uh, but I figured it out anyway.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Your mother played a major role in this because she's a volleyball player.
3: Uh, Not only a volleyball player, but also a a great softball player. You know, my mom is unfortunate in the sense that she's too old to have benefited from Title IX. Uh, My mother would have been a collegiate player in many sports. Uh, She was the best athlete uh, in our family growing up, and uh, she's in her mid-70s. And to this day, I know she could have a proper game of catch. Um, And I'm not talking about lobbing the ball back and forth. Uh, I'm talking about having a proper game of catch. (laughs) And, uh, And that's where all my brothers, I had a brother who played, the Yankee farm system, all my brothers played collegiate baseball um, so we all get our talent from her
0: It's, it's, it's amazing how the family united like that because it, it inspires each person inside the family to do their own thing
3: well, I, I think what's great, and you know, when I wrote this book, I wrote a little uh, a blurb and gave one each to my brothers, and I thought long and hard about it. And uh, to each one, it was unique. You know, um, My brother, Eddie, who's a year younger than me that played in the Yankees farm system, I wrote to him that without his competition day in and day out, I never would have been where I wanted to be. My brother, Brian, who lived in New York many years while I was playing, without his friendship and, and ability to, to talk about tough things. Uh, it would have been very hard to last 13 years in the major leagues. And my youngest brother, who was nine years younger than I would, would come in on weekends, and and he used to always have this saying that he owned the halls of Shea Stadium. Well, I don't think he owned the halls, but that's what I wrote in the book. <laughs> on,
0: on the book cover, it says, failure and triumph in the biggest game of my life. As that broadcaster today, do you, do you agree that it was part of the failure and triumphs that's made you the better broadcaster in the game that you share with us?
3: Uh, absolutely you know I didn't think that what I was going through as a major league player would uh, determine or help me as I moved along later in life Um, if I hadn't gone through that I certainly wouldn't be able to look at uh, the bright side and the not so bright side in sports whenever I try to watch these players play and they're so excellent I have to remind myself one thing I used to play that would help me analyze but I can't play anymore it's their game and uh, um, that's the fun part of the job is that, you know, when I watch them and they're going to have their failures too, it's easy because I can go back to when I failed and understand how that happens. And so when I talk about them, I can't say, boy, how can that guy be horrible today? You don't speak like that. You just say, hey, I had my day when I came up short, and this is the reason why it happens. And um, it, it's made it a lot of fun to, to do what I do. Well, being in that press box, you've
0: seen how the game of baseball has changed in the stands for the fans, do you like it that way or does it take our our mind off from the game itself?
3: Well, I, I think that every generation has their own way of, of getting their relaxation. Yeah. And who am I to question if uh, texting or taking pictures or selfies during the game, <laughs> any of that stuff, uh, is? Um, it's not how our parents grew up watching the game, how we grew up watching the game, but it's a different world and it's a different place. And I'm just happy that Major League Baseball is starting to extend those fences. So folks who are not always a um, uh, uh, Taking, taking in the game and not taking score or whatever, uh, that uh, people won't be hurt.
0: Don't you see your book as being the next level of a baseball card? Because, I mean, I can see the collectors taking it and and, and putting it in the cases and stuff to protect it. But at the same time, it's almost like we get to hold your life beyond that card
3: now. Uh, uh, boy, what a question. Um, uh, yes, uh, great question. Absolutely. I, I think that what Sabre metrics do and we're talking about the back of the baseball card a part of that and all the stats do is that they're amazing they reveal what kind of player you are but without the hugs without the yep. joy and without the sorrow so I guess that's where my books are trying to go is that I understand the numbers I understand how things happen but um there's a human side to all of this and uh, the human side is what I'm interested in um the sociology of what makes us tick um, and not tick on certain moments. And that's why there's a failure uh, before the triumph here. Now, the triumph being that the Mets won the World Series. And the second triumph for me is in writing this book, I've been able to put the bed uh, my inability in a game seven. So basically, this opens up a door for you to get on with your life now. It really is. It's pretty sad that uh, that uh, thirty years later I would still be a uh, pining for another chance at a game seven. But uh, <laughs> that's the nature of the beast. Uh, we always want to. Um, everyone wants to have that mulligan. Uh, you just don't have it in professional sports.
0: How do you get rid of that voice in your head that says, "Man, if I could just go back there and change it, if I could just do this," because it,
3: it just it travels beside you. Yeah, well, I, I think that's what this book is all about, is that I think I take a journey on things that I could have changed within that game. And what you realize, uh, especially if you're a, a starting pitcher in a game, is that you have all the power in your hand to control what's going to happen. But when it starts to slip away, it happens so quickly, it's like you've been uh, catapulted over a waterfall, and, um, and you can't stop it. And I think those are the kind of the lessons. I learned in writing this that it's a you know it's certainly not the, the period in the, the Goodwill hunting movie where he said it, you know, it wasn't your fault but I feel like it wasn't my fault now because you know you gave your best effort and it was the Boston Red Sox who, who determined my fate, uh, not me. Now being that writer,
0: how did you keep the separation between because you are an announcer and you also are a writer and you're also a player? That's three different personalities that had to come alive in one place.
3: But I think they all helped each other. You know, they became oh. symbiotic in a way because I was able to not only uh, remember the days when physically uh, the, that was the most important part of my life, um, um, write about it in, in an honest and truthful way, which would be painful, but also look at it as if I was watching myself play today, and how would I analyze Ron Darling in Game Seven? What happened to him? That uh, what mistakes did he make that only allowed him to get 11 outs in that game? And so post to 21 outs or more, um, all of those symbiotically came together and helped me uh, get through these 200 pages.
0: So, was there ever a moment where you had to go to YouTube and just watch it so you could get into that mindset again? I mean, I know you, you know, I know you lived it, but
3: you know what's interesting about uh, former pitchers is that uh, um, you can almost remember uh, every pitch to every batter and did I look at it absolutely but it didn't take long for me to get into the pattern that exactly what was happening and I could call pitch for pitch I could recall pitch for pitch I knew which ones uh, were missed which ones the umpire missed and which ones I didn't execute and it was a um, it was a really difficult fun journey if that makes any sense i know it's an oxymoron but it was really so much fun to go through it and analyze it and then afterwards i was sweating and exhausted so <laughs> it, was a, it was a strange uh, strange trip
0: so that moment before you would throw the ball when i was in little league i always would look the guy in the eye and just give him a cocky little smile did you ever do anything like that to that batter showing them that hey i've got more strength than you've got
3: yeah, well, you had the moonlight Graham thing working with the wink, right? <laughs> uh, I know. I, ne- I never had that because. Uh, but what I what I did do, and this is uh, long before uh, they've had coaches helping uh, with this stuff and, and therapists, is that I remember I used to visualize uh, where I wanted the ball to go, and on the nights before I would pitch, I would lay in bed and go through the lineup just one time, uh, one through nine, and it was always perfect. You know, the first batter was retired on a couple of pitches, the second batter would strike on a curveball in the dirt, and I would play it over and over in my mind. I'm sure golfers do that professionally when they are playing the Masters or playing 18 holes. They walk themselves through a 66. Well, I've always walked myself through seven, eight, or nine shutout innings in a dream, um, but it was more of a nightmare on the game seven. But it, it worked out the right way because of the, uh, my Mets teammates. You're, you're very
0: open when you say that a lot of the up-and-coming stars need to be multiple in their tasks as, as sports players it, sh- it shouldn't be just baseball It should be several Different levels of play
3: well, I, I, I think what happens uh, for um, when you're in the moment of playing professional sports is that you feel as though if your dedication isn't 100% towards that goal, then you'll never make it. I think that it, it's kind of the opposite way. I think that when you are there at the ballpark doing your thing, I think it's very important. But if you don't get your mind off of that thing and it's a 24-hour deal, I think you're, it, it, there's no chance of you having having a long career. You've got to have other interests. You've got to have an outlet. You've got to have other things to do. I would say I I didn't do it as much as I should have. Um, if I'm looking and writing a letter to me as a young man, I would have said, hey, let things go. Uh, when they're done, they're done, and uh, and move on. And um, uh, this book has allowed me to move on. A lot of, there's, There seems to be a lot of injuries these days. I mean, why
0: is it that during your day we didn't see a lot of those? Or is it just that the social network has opened the door for us to look deeper into into the lives of these players.
3: I don't know if it's a social network, but I think we do a much better job medically uh, on being able to uh, figure out how guys are injured. I think we do a much better job, especially with pitchers, on correcting an injury. Uh, That's why you have so many Tommy John surgeries. And it's a different place in time. You know, today guys feel as though, um, if you're a starting pitcher, let's use that, if I can make 25, if I'm going to make 25 starts, I'm going to have to be excellent for 25 starts. In my day, good or bad, the only way you could really make make money is that you had to take the ball every five days. Um, that, that's, you know, in, in some strange ways, that leads uh, to some injuries, but I do know guys in my day, and it didn't make us more macho, the guys are stronger and bigger and in better shape than we were, but we knew that if you didn't pitch, um, they, uh, I used to have a phrase, you can't make the club if you're in the tub, <laughs> and uh, if you don't get out there, um, you couldn't make money in our day, so that's just uh, uh, what you had to do. Well, I want to thank you
0: for painting the picture of baseball in this modern age, because our attention span is only so long but you keep us in that game sir
3: thank you arrow we really appreciate it
0: imagine what it must be like to go through history not realizing that you left behind a handwritten diary let's spice it up a bit you're from the rolling stones you've been with jeff Beck. you've been with faces suddenly the seeds of what you put into everyday life have unveiled the fertile soil The new book, How Can It Be? A Rock and Roll Diary. We are unplugged and totally uncuts with Ronnie Wood. a daily writer and your book features the curves and thin lines of your imagination in motion oh
2: yeah lovely yeah well it was a surprise for For me, how quickly 50 years can go by. So make the most of every day, everybody out there, because that last 50 years, when I was 17, seems only a couple of years ago.
0: What were you thinking at 17 to say, hey, I think I'm going to start jotting down the trip here?
2: Well, I was uh, always ambitious and always trying to get better, and I was criticizing the audiences and uh, the show, our show, you know, at the time with The Birds, my first band. And um, I was trying to hone the music down so that we could keep up with our contemporaries, like the Who. And uh, I wanted to be earning like the Rolling Stones were doing. They were just cutting it, and but most of my contemporaries had hit records, you know. And I was thinking, well, not to worry, my turn
0: will come. Did the sketches come along while you were doing your daily writing or how, how did the art come out of you? Was it because of your passion for jazz that you did a lot of the, the sketches?
2: Yeah, and my passion for the blues and um, American music in general. Really, if, um, we were all gearing up and restructuring the collected records that we would collect from the American artists. You know, whether it be... Um, Count Basie or or Duke Ellington or whether it was um, Carlton Wolfe or Jimmy Reed or Chuck Berry and Muddy Waters, you know, we were trying to um, represent this music unknowingly. We thought we were just uh, paying tribute to it, but it came out like a British sound, and I suppose everyone had that in the 60s, a kind of ambition to be like their American counterpart musical uh, idols, you know. Stay with me.
0: The song, How Can It Be, is so pure when it comes to blues. I mean, it ju- it just has the blues written all over
2: it. Yeah, I, I just did a quick uh, recap of the, I think it was the second song I ever wrote, and I thought, yeah, i just see how it sounds in it today, you know, just uh, when the studio cut it quickly. But um, it still has a little resonance to it, and a nice melody.
0: It's always been just an exploration for you, hasn't it? Just to reach in there and see what we can create.
2: Yeah, yeah. Same artistically, you know. When I paint, between music, I'm painting all the time, and I've got exhibitions as well. In the meantime, we've got the good old diary from when I was a seventeen-year-old <laughs> rock and roller.
0: When you put that paint on the canvas, I would love to know where your imagination is going.
2: Yeah, it's like a big melting pot, you know, with all your influences, whether it be Picasso or Rembrandt or, you know, George Barack or whoever it is. uh, It's the same as with all the musical influences all being thrown into the same pot and But coming out in his own style, musically and artistically, yeah.
0: It's it's almost like, because Peter Max listens to the Rolling Stones while he paints. Who do you listen to while you paint?
2: Uh, Well, it could be Mozart or the Stones, you know, um, or anything that's on the radio, you know, the, the spoken voice. Sometimes they're just painting complete silence. In fact, you get most of your, most of your inspiration comes out of the air anyway, you know could be a dog parking down the corner you
0: know? <laughs> now, now would you see am say-
2: in Barcelona at the moment painting
0: are you doing the country scene then in Barcelona or what, what, what are you painting in Barcelona
2: I'm, pay- I'm, I'm painting uh, Spanish Irish landscapes at the moment I'm doing still life uh, I'm just experimenting. Once again, I'm, I'm loving it. It's a continuing adventure.
0: When when you go to another country to paint, do you reach down and grab some soil to put on that canvas just to kind of document that moment so it can go home with you?
2: Yeah, especially in Africa. I, I love when I was in Kenya, the, the red earth there. I mix it with a bit of... Um, a, a bit of... Um, or, you know a bit of white spirit or, um, oil and and uh, paint with the actual earth, yeah, it's a beautiful color. It's like a sepia
0: and yet and yet with with your with your artistry it's it's almost like a mixture of jazz and the blues when you when you put everything on canvas
2: yeah that's why right. it is, yeah.
0: Ronnie, your paintings, your music, and this book—it is all about the depth of the artist.
2: Oh, thank you so much! Yeah, I used to write for the school. I used to do the penmanship. You know, I used to write the speech day invites and uh, in in italic lettering.
0: (laughs) And that's why your penmanship is so clear, isn't it? Because I wanted. Because it, it could have easily been messy, but but your penmanship is so clear and easy to read.
2: Oh, that's good to know. Because a lot of these were just jotted down while, you know, fresh while it was happening.
0: What I don't want to do is forget about faces. I mean, you and Rod Stewart being back up on the stage just a couple of months ago, dude, that had to be incredible.
2: We kept the flag flying, and the, the old spirit was still there. It was great.
0: Will, will there be a tour with faces very soon well when we
2: can squeeze things in i have got the Stones coming up <laughs> America in the early next year and uh, then we've got our Stones uh, exhibition opening in 2016 in April in London but um We'll see what we can, you know, juggle.
0: Plus, you got to get out there and promote this brand new book. Fifty years ago, I can't believe it. (laughs) I love it. Well, you enjoy your day today in Barcelona, okay, sir?
2: Thank you so much for the enthusiasm, and uh, good luck to you.